This is Jim Semivan, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy, and as we kick off 2024, I've got a guest with me I've been looking to speak to now for quite some time. Made a bit of a splash, especially uh, since July uh, in the, the UFO world in terms of what he's been doing. So let me welcome to the podcast, writer, journalist, and founder of AskApol.com. I've got Matt Laszlo joining me. Matt, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad we could finally do this. Very good to have you on. And again, judging by the response from listeners when I put out for questions, certainly going to be a popular guest, Matt. You've been putting in a lot of legwork over the last, can I, I say six months, you've been putting in a lot of work over the years as a journalist. So let me just ask you for a bit of background, tell the listeners about yourself and what's kind of brought you to this point that you're covering the UFO story. So I've been DC now, I guess since 2024. So this is my 18th year covering Congress and stuff. Uh, before I covered Congress, I covered music and entertainment. So I say I know how to deal with asshole politicians from dealing with asshole uh, musicians. Um, but yeah, I've been a contributor at Vice, Vice News Tonight, Rolling Stone, Playboy, uh, Daily Beast, et cetera, et cetera. Right now, contributor at Wired Magazine, where I cover a lot of tech and privacy issues. Um, And then I'm contributor at Raw Story, helping them build out their newsroom. Um, And on the side, I'm a professor at Johns Hopkins, where I teach mostly, it's our master's program where I did my MA. So I teach like history of the media with a focus on how rhetoric has adapted to new mediums over time from the telegraph to uh the twitters or i guess now the x um yeah so 2024 is my first interview it's a little scary uh because now we're in the precipice of the 2024 election even though i guess we were in the cauldron of it all last year um and so last year about this time 2023 if you remember we had the invasion of the chinese spy balloon uh First one, and then boom, the American Air Force starts shooting down three random objects, not yeah. quite divulging what they are. And so that's like a full year on. Um, so Congress started having these, you know, classified hearings uh, or classified briefings on that. And then a couple months later, boom, David Grush, you know, drops his uh, allegations, you know, right on the seat of this Congress. And Congress is kind of like, what? What are you talking about? Uh, so I just, kind of decided to not let them forget. Um, and so I pressed lawmakers on it all throughout last year. I initially did a story, a feature for Wired Magazine. Kind of, and it kind of actually pissed off the UFO community because it looked at this very conspiratorial Congress and it put this issue within that. But once I started, you know, pulling the threads on that, it was like, wait, wait, wait. Uh, and especially Grush's, you know, his first claim is that there's recovered craft. And I'm like, all right show us, you know, which is what half of Congress, you know, the UAP caucus is saying, show us, damn it. Um, well, the second part of his claim was that there are these SAPs or special asset access programs that are, you know, being hidden, you know, that are secret from Congress, that they're diverting the funding. And I'm like, wait, 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 you know, I'm a congressional junkie. And I'm like, he just, you know, held a mirror up to Congress and said, hey, you're all naked. And 
I'm like, all right, give me that mirror. Let me borrow it. And so it was just a great impetus to go impress all these lawmakers on it. And so I interviewed all 100 U.S. senators on it, uh, specifically Grush's claims. And it's really freaking sad. <laughs> like most of them are ostriches. I think only like 10 or maybe 15, maybe 15 or so really care, maybe five or 10 are investigating, uh, which shame on them. Like he just said, y'all are being lied to either come to us, the American public and say, hey, Grush is full of shit. And here we can prove to you that he's full of shit. Or as of now, you just left it hanging in the air that you all are full of shit. You know, the ball's in their court. So let me ask you, we're going to get to Congress, Senate, David Grush. That's that's a whole lot happened in a short space of time. But if I, if I was to come to Matt Laszlo, who's walking about the streets of Washington 2022, and I said to you, microphone in your face, you know, what do you think about UFOs? What What would you have been saying at that time? See, my thing and kind of the reason I started our website, askapoll.com, is like, I'm terrified about the state of our democracy and like what kind of typical like good year, like pre-January 6th, you know, pre-2016, uh, you know, election stolen, all that stuff. Um, we have tens, tens of millions of Americans who don't vote because they're like, no, they're not even having the conversations that we care about, you know. Um, because we are in this new gilded age here in Washington. Like me as a reporter, I'm cut the fuck out of it. But you have this new millionaire and billionaire class that really puts their interests above the American people, or at least tens of millions of American people say, no, there's nothing for me in politics. And that's only gotten um confounded, you know, in the last five, 10 years, especially with the, you know, fake, uh, fake news, you know, the media were the enemy. Um, and so seeing some polls that like 50% of the American public doesn't even just think that the media is uh, false. They think the media is actively lying to them. Well, that's a problem for democracy. <laughs> if you have half of the American people who can't even look at, um, the same pile of facts and say those are indeed facts you know if the sky is green to half of us it's purple to the rest of us well how are we going to have a dialogue and so that's where with ask a poll then i even did this i've got my own bureau uh wire service on the hill where it's the laszlo congressional bureau well i took my name out of it so now it's just the lcb uh you know with my clients i tend to be a little more gonzo or whatever have a little more fun um and so I'm like, all right, take my name out of it. But with Ask a Poll, literally, I'm giving my subscribers, you know, our audience, I'm giving them my microphone and I'm cutting myself completely out of it. And that's very much so to try to revive our democracy a little bit. And it's, yeah, a Hail Mary. Yeah, one, one guy, one media professor. But I've got all this access. and like, what? These are my uh, notebooks from 2003. Just like what, 10 or 12 of them? I hate when we get to the end of each year that there's just hundreds and hundreds of interviews that, you know, just go, you know, die like that. Yeah. Die like that tired year died. Um, and so with basketball, I really want to like just give the raw interviews. Um, and I call it being our 
your conduit to Congress, because that's literally what I am. Like, I'm trying to take myself out of it 100 percent. I'm like, yeah, I'm the one asking the questions, but I'm getting those from listeners and subscribers, and readers and whatnot. Um, and so we've got skeptics who um, follow us. We've got lawmakers, obviously, folks in the intelligence community and on the intelligence committees that follow us. And then you have, uh, you know, folks who are whistleblowers, uh, et cetera. Um, and so people from all over the spectrum, we want them to be able to come and just ask their questions, you know, ask their lawmakers directly through me. And so my thoughts, they don't matter. Like literally most of the American public thinks I'm a lying son of a bitch. <laughs> the other half, maybe they believe me, uh, but they're dubious. And so I think more of us reporters, especially, you know, as I've got a big footprint on social media and all that, but I also like the media prop in me really faults a lot of us journalists for putting ourselves uh, out there too much. You know, social media has been great for a lot of us reporters. Like, Hey, I've got what, my 30,000 plus uh, Twitter followers. Like that's great for me as an independent journalist, especially, but what is that? Um, I think coupled with that, as much as it's been good, especially for us independent journalists, it's been bad for um, journalism because instead of us just being <clears throat> the American archetype, you know, the associated press type, just like uh, dispassionate referees almost, you know, mm -hmm. just calling balls and strikes, like we we're in a new universe now. And because of new media, because especially now with AI here, like people are going to just be able to so easily go and find the universe uh, that like-minded, that looks like them, that mirrors yeah. them. Like shit, we're already getting pushed into this algorithmically, where you know we're getting fed this reality that's just like uh, what these frozen Silicon Valley think we are already like and so they're already driving us to these self-made uh extremes that are just stupid like i love talking to random people <laughs> like the more random the better because i learn a, something new you know i learn a uh, new subculture uh learn new thinking and so yeah my thoughts my ideas welcome <laughs> that, that like, whole... I literally spend most of my time trying to like fight my own uh, intuition or my own like self. Yeah. Like I try to trick my different devices so that some think I'm a uh, raging conservative, some think I'm a uh, raging progressive. Like I don't know what I think, <laughs> but I'm just studying everything as it's unfolding. I like that, though. I think, and I've said before, you've got to be able to look at various different people's opinions. You don't have to agree, but I think it's interesting to see someone says X and you think Y. Maybe you take a little bit of what they think and go, actually, do you know what? That's a good point. That's valid. I'm going to run with that and see where it takes me. And maybe that molds your opinion into something else. And I, th I don't think enough of that happens. And I know in psychology, you look at and talk about finding your tribe. And like you say, online, you're pushed by algorithms into whatever tribe that you're you're trending, what words are you looking up, what are your keywords, who are you following, who are you clicking on, and you get stuck in a 
just a cycle of the same messages, the same content. And it's just nice to break away from that sometimes as well. Um, so let, let's go back. I'm going to come back to your thoughts later on because I know you've said your thoughts don't matter, but we'll come back to that in a way. Your first time you mentioned broaching the subject is for an article in Wired magazine, yeah? And you, you said, fair enough, you came at it from a conspiratorial point of view. So is it fair to say a typical... Well, it was, not to you up, but it was putting the topic within this conspiratorial yeah. Congress where like people don't believe in vaccines, okay, people yeah. don't believe in... Um, what, you got some people, you know, wanting to see the JFK docs because they uh, have conflicting thoughts on it. Like, hell, even our last president, President Trump, um, accused his Republican opponent, Ted Cruz, he accused his father of being a part of the conspiracy to kill the former president. So, I mean, like, you can't deny that this is a conspiratorial Congress. <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's I don't find that offensive. The idea of it being considered a conspiracy is, is take that as you will. But if someone said to you aliens, UFOs, it's mm, was it still yeah okay I'll believe it when I see it. But like you say, I want to know what was your first inkling that when you said you started pulling at the threads, what were some of those first threads you started pulling at, and you went wait a minute, Matt, there is something to this, and you started going down that rabbit hole. What was that, and what was it like? Well, and here's the thing, because what do I know? I know Congress. And so I've now interviewed all 100 senators. What I'm still and what I hope to do in 2024 is get at what do they know? And so after doing all those interviews in 2023, I'm really fucking confused. (laughs) And so like some people in uh, this space are like very certain, you know, from all sides of it are very certain like what i had the top republican on the foreign relations committee jim rich uh senator from idaho former governor of idaho tell me i don't read ufo stories so like all right this guy's got some sort of like rock solid belief that there's nothing unidentified like what like what planet is he living on and so like he, he won't uh, even look into it he won't allow himself yeah, to even said, check but like what does this statement even mean i don't read ufo stories so like wait so you know what those four objects were like you knew what that first balloon was like you knew what it was before the air force did like oh shit man like i should go sit at your feet for church every sunday because you know more than god you know it's like there's an insanity <laughs> in some of this thinking but like when then when you press down, especially with members of the House Intelligence Committee, they're thinking so like Jim Himes there. He's like, yeah, we're not even discussing these issues. You're like crush, like, no, not even investigating. But then we find out at the end of 2023, when it came to the NDAA or the National Defense Authorization Act, well, the folks, it seems like Himes and uh, Chair Turner and other folks, at least in the intelligence community going through members of the house intelligence committee well it seems like they want to kill conversations of this and like all right is that because of defense contracting stuff like when you hear jim himes talk about it he talks about it all in relation to other nations so then you're like all right maybe they don't think the u.s has crap but they think that maybe china got this technology and like where do they get it did they are they just that smarter than us 
or did they recover crap? And so I'm just really pressing Congress to use all the tools it's at its disposal. Like, especially remember Grush's claim, as I mentioned before, um, Congress, they did attempt to put in some safeguards so that at least Congress could know yeah. um, no funding is going to these SAPs or special access programs. They tried to put in some of those safeguards, but hey, are they working? Like my most, like they're hefty questions, but they're so simple uh, to Congress. Like, hey, are you guaranteed now that there's no SAPs being funded outside of your normal appropriations process? Like they can't even answer that. And so like, I get that a lot of people in this community are like thinking questions way beyond. And like, you kind of saw when Bernie Sanders was pressed on it, you know, he kind of laughed it off, but then um, that person, but he was open to it, you know, Uh, but then the the person asking him about it during that election or during that primary then goes, you know, what are its implications for climate change? And he's like, whoa, 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 we're not even there. And so that's where I feel like this Congress, some members of it are like riding on their own, like one or two. Others like have training wheels, you know, others um, might have like a full Harley underneath them, but they've got blinders on. So it's useless to them. And so that's where I'm still finding out and curious about who knows what in Congress um and because a lot of the lawmakers are new they don't even know the right questions to ask like this last go-round members of the you know the congressional uap caucus didn't even know about schumer's uap amendment until i told them about it and then they're like oh well we should you know work to fight for that well we're fucking late guys and so that's where i'm curious um, and it'll be interesting because here just next week <clears throat> at the start of this um, second session of this Congress, that UAP caucus is going to get inside the skiff. And supposedly, last we've heard, they're supposed to actually be able to read uh, David Gresh's first uh, initial report to the inspector general. So like the whole conversation Congress had last year. They weren't even asking the right questions because they didn't know what to ask because they hadn't even seen his initial report. Now, I'm not going to be able to see his initial report because I'm a reporter. You know, someone, unless they please do, send it my way. I'm on encrypted apps, whatever. Um, You can get it to me. So I want to read it. Uh, But yeah, they'd be risking a felony to get it to me. But even what we saw with Brush's own testimony in July 2023 was. Half of what he said publicly, he said, I can't uh, tell you the rest. I can only answer that in a classified setting. So, like, if that's all he can say publicly, like, what the hell do I know? You know, the lawmakers actually investigating this, who have subpoena power, you know, who are federally elected lawmakers, they haven't even been able to see that other half of Grush's testimony. So, like, you mentioned less than them. Yeah. Yeah, let, let's look, Matt, because you covered a lot there, but let you mention, and it's praise uh, praise for you here, um, you've interviewed the, the 100 senators and asked them all about the David Grush situation, let's call it, and you've put it on, it's like a spreadsheet, and it's on the askapol.com site, I'll put the link in the chat as well, um, and it's fantastic, I'm not going to read through it because it literally has a spreadsheet of the names, um, how they're aware, um, their position, 
and uh, it's got either multiple interviews or when you spoke to them in date format. And like you say, it's got, for example, Mark Warner, Marco Rubio, names that folks would be uh, assuming would have an interest in the subject, and it just says investigating. Mitch McConnell, who we know was pretty, had a part in getting the UAP Disclosure Act, Schumer Rounds Amendment stuff watered down. Um, it says aware, no comment. Um, and it goes through, you've then got, you know, investigating, unaware, unaware looked into it, inquisitive about UAPs, that's Tim Kaine. Um, aware, not looked into it, aware, inquisitive, really interesting list. And we couldn't pick through all 100, but was there anyone in that list who maybe isn't a prominent name in terms of them being thrown up there in front of the UFO community who maybe surprised you in a good way, but also on the flip side of that as well? Dude, so one that was kind of surprising, and it's interesting talking to him about it, is um, Pennsylvania Senator John Fetterman. He's a freshman. Um, he's not on any of the relevant committees, so he's not on the Senate Intelligence Committee, not on the Senate Armed Services Committee. I don't even believe he's on like the Senate Energy Committee, which the Energy Committee has shown like no interest in this, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Something I also want to like press this year. Um, but Fetterman, he's like, I can't even believe we're still having this debate. <laughs> you know, he's like, give us full disclosure. He's like, the American people deserve that. Well, he's like, us in the Senate, we obviously deserve that. But then, obviously, the American people do, too. Um, and he's like, why wouldn't we want to know about this stuff? Um, so it'll be interesting to see him. You know, senators get six years as opposed to their House counterparts who only get two. And so it'll be interesting to see him, one, grow into his role as a senator, but then also to see, you know, usually as they serve a little longer, they might get a seat on intelligence and get a seat on armed services. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes with that stuff. Um, another interesting one was Senator Mike Rounds, um, who's kind of the main Republican co-author with Chuck Schumer on his UAP amendment. Because when I started asking about it, you know, in early July with him, at first he didn't even know Grush's name and yeah. didn't know anything. But then he had some meetings with Senator Gillibrand and the two of them um, started like tag teaming, for lack of a better term, um, for Patrick when he was the head of Arrow. And so you started seeing him rounds push for whistleblower protections when just like weeks before he wasn't uh, read in on anything. So I'm still curious um, where he goes. And some of the other folks who are surprising the other way would be either Jill Brand or Heinrich, some of the, even Rubio, because they came out very hot. And like after Grush's claims dropped, they were like, whoa, this is sizzling hot. Let's get to the bottom of this. And then something happened. And so that's where I'm still curious with them because they went shot up. And since they've been kind of quiet on it. And Rubio now says like, hey, we don't want to interfere with the Inspector General investigation, because I guess there's still one ongoing. Um, when I thought initially, hey, the Inspector General vetted Grush's claims, and then Rubio said, then he, the IG sent it to us in Congress. <laughs> so I'm still curious if there's a new IG investigation. This is where, because all of this is classified, um, 
that makes it a little difficult. And so you've seen some of the lawmakers who came out more gung-ho initially walk or be walked back, I think would be the proper so, term. So yeah, let, let me ask you, so do you think that's more the case? And you could go several ways with this. Is it the conspiratorial route that someone's gotten to them, they've warned them off the topic, you know, you're getting too close to things here, back away, it's bad for your career, bad for your family, bad for your friends' careers, and they've cooled off on it? Or is it just they've reached a certain point that they're happy to go no further for now? Where do you sit with that? What What's your thinking? That's my thing. I just don't know yet. And that's where like my job is to be a skeptic and some even skeptical about like, I just don't allow myself usually to even come to conclusions. And so, yeah, I'm just very curious what their thinking is. Cause even when I pressed Joe brand on it in our last interview at the end of the year, I raised this pointer. I was like, Hey, you know, you and others, like on the Senate side, it seems like you're less interested. And she goes, wait, why is that? You know, she was like, why do you say that? And I was like, because you all aren't really investigating it. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I got to look into that. And so like, even her reaction and how she can't even see how she's reacting different makes mm-hmm. me just curious where right? I really need to. Yeah, I have to play some five-dimensional chess with a few of the members. And sometimes it's even like waiting for them to be alone and away from their staffers. Mm. So like I have my methods that I'll I'll do it. Um yeah, it'll be interesting. And especially we have to remember last year was just crisis after crisis after crisis. Uh I don't think this year is gonna be a ton better because we're like <laughs> doesn't seem uh, that way, no. Yeah, we're like a day away from a crisis when Congress gets back next week. Um they're like two weeks away from a government uh shut down and so like that might just be the nature of this congress the 118th congress which only has 27 new laws to its name um and like house republicans they would love that like 50 new laws like rescinding other laws and so like that metric while a little misleading is also a pretty good metric like this is just a shit congress um like what did they do they didn't um have uh the U.S. default on its debt. It's foreign nations like, good job, guys. You didn't burn down the school. Um, and then they didn't shut down the government. But, oh, what did they do? They shut down Congress. <laughs> when they ousted Speaker, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Congress itself shut down for three weeks. And, like, that was when the NDAA um, was right. And that's when the conference committee should have been meeting in public. Instead, you had party leaders like jockeying and, you know, jacking the bill up in, uh, in secret. And so even the normal tools for the rank and file members of Congress to have a little bit of say in that, um, in those negotiations, like that one by the wayside. So even like the people who I would usually be able to get information from were like, Say Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's on that committee, you know, if she was inside there, those negotiations, like she might be able to come out and tell me like, hey, you know, this was asked, dot, dot, dot. But instead, members came out of that first and only public uh, meeting of that NDAA conference committee. Members are like, 
this thing's already cooked. <laughs> like this was useless. Yeah. Um, and so because party leaders were the ones making all those changes, <clears throat> that means the rank and file members who I get my information from then had no information. And so we'll see, they seem to have learned something from that. Um, so it seems like the plan is to try to really get work on that NDAA uh, early and often in this new year, because that's something that does have to be reauthorized annually to keep the behemoth that is the U.S. military um, marching along <laughs> on the necks of the small globally. <laughs> I guess that's a conversation for another day. A totally different podcast, yeah. Um, I want to know, though, something you brought up that was really interesting, a few points. You mentioned the young senator. Was it Federman? Federman. Federman. I wonder, is there something to younger politicians starting out have less fear about talking about the UFO topic and subject, whereas as you progress through the ranks and they get older, and this isn't a blanket statement, but it's still seen more as political suicide to to really go after or champion the ufo topic it's interesting i mean because you definitely see that dynamic play out in um with the media you know the legacy media versus you know newer stations like uh uh, newsmax news nation like they've been active a little bit new york post but then um some other folks. And so the, but you see like the legacy media companies, you know, still keeping the entire topic um, cloaked in X-Files terms and yeah. cloaked with like jokes and all that. And so, but then again, it like doesn't a hundred percent cut across that way because as much as in some of these younger members, you are seeing, yeah, the interesting thing about this issue is how it's in this hyperpartisan bullshit world of Washington. This is still a nonpartisan issue, and so like you have someone like um, Jamie Raskin, who led one of the impeachment trials against former President Trump. Uh, he was on the January sixth committee. You know, he's the top Democrat on the House Oversight Committee. Well, when Jamie Raskin left the David Grush's public testimony in front of the House Oversight Committee in July 2023, Raskin was like, hey, we've got to follow up on this. we got to go to a skiff and get answers to this. And like AOC, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she was saying the same thing leaving there. So was moderate Republican Nancy Mace. So was, you know, Congressman Andy Ogles from uh, Tennessee. And so like this issue is still really nonpartisan and like, Raskin, he's an older lawmaker, you know, but he said the way he got into this issue is he's like, um, people push me. He's like, so I'm thinking voters, constituents, but then likely someone who's cutting him some checks, but someone he trusts. And it could even be his kids were like, hey, uh, you should check this out. And so he said, because of that, he went to that hearing. And then after hearing Grush and the others testify publicly, he was like, well, damn this is worthy of further investigation. And so that's where people, I mean, again, the Senate side, you can see some little age differences, but you will get some of these older members who are just like, yeah, this is a non-issue. And so it doesn't quite cut into these easy boxes that, you know, Mm -hmm. especially 
political scientist that we would love to like uh, put this into and just say like, oh, with Gen Xers or, you know, millennial lawmakers, yeah. like easy win for them. Because then you'll even hear from some of those younger lawmakers indifference, not necessarily about the issue. They're just like, of all the things that we have to deal with, you know, they like assume <laughs> that extraterrestrial life exists. And I even had one senator. Um, <clears throat> this was Senator. It's going to come to me. Tillis. Senator Tom Tillis, from North Carolina. And this just wowed me. He's like, I basically, he's like, I 100% believe that there's extraterrestrial life form out there. I also 100% believe they've never visited Earth. And I'm like, how do you get that certainty? Mm. Um, and so, but to him, because he believes it's out there, he's like, yeah, it's there. It's kind of a non-issue. It's just not here. I'm like, I don't know where you <laughs> get that data from that it's not here if it's out there. Um, and so, yeah, it's one that, and that's kind of what makes it fun, the fact that it doesn't fall into um, the normal categories because it's literally just that unique of an issue. And there's not too many like that. Yeah, we do live in a world of extremes, don't we? And in a world where Breaking Bad exists, people that still say Game of Thrones is a great TV show, just that that amazes me. But that's, again, another conversation for a different podcast. Um, I wonder, do you think in this election year, uh, it's, it's interesting watching the US elections from a UK point of view because our politics is really boring and I probably see more US politics on my television uh, and on my social media feeds, especially given I do the UFO stuff than the I UK. <laughs> Listen, it's it's more like a movie for us than anything else because it's like oh, what's go- it's like a no, it's more like a recurring TV series. You know what's going to happen next on this episode of the US um, because it affects it's everyone. What happens? It affects us all. What happens in your country affects us. But I wonder, do you see the UFO or, as it's going to be referenced? I suppose in the election, the UAP issue, do you see it being brought up in any of these important televised debates? Personally, I, I don't see it being brought up just given how, like you say, volatile things are potentially going to be and how much of a, a raw subject it still can be. What was interesting is if you go back to the first Republican presidential debate that we had, it did come up. You know, one of the Fox moderators brought it up. But it was interesting. The question only went, I think there was like seven or eight or nine folks on stage for that first one. And the question just went to Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey. Is he the guy that says, you've gave me the UFO question? Is that that guy? Yeah. So he kind of like laughs it off. And then the moderator like tries to call, claw it back, like the humor side of it a little bit, but like kind of flops. And um it was interesting because then I'd already talked to Tim Scott about it, a uh, Republican senator. I talked to him two times about it, and he was intrigued by the issue, you know, and it's he came from the House. So his um, colleagues are on the UAP caucus, and they're the ones investigating this. And so that's where he takes them seriously. So it was on his radar. And so I was like, you know, they shouldn't have just asked Christie. They should ask him. Um and it's so we'll see the way it was fumbled, I'd say, in that first 
Um, asking like did a disservice to it. So we'll see. I could see it more so come up in maybe like the Senate race in California because you have someone like Adam Schiff who was the head of the intelligence committee uh, and like took the issue seriously, you know, in part because he's like a San Diego area congressman. Mm. uh, And there's been so many sightings in that area. So he's had to deal with it like personally as a constituent or whatever. And so it hasn't come up yet in that race, but I could see it possibly coming up in one of, these contests um, that have more national prominence as far as the national level, the folks in the national media who are going to have access to the members, you know, to the president and then the former president, it seems if Trump gets the nod, mm-hmm. um, I don't trust any of them to necessarily ask it. Well, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Congress. And that's why the investigation that goes on there, what happens after or when they're in this gift and then what happens when they leave this gift uh, here in this next week, if that becomes, you know, big national international news, well, Hey, then that could trickle onto the campaign trail. And so we'll see as much as members of the uh, congressional UAP caucus were leaving for the holiday, kind of defeated, deflated, you know, they suffered a big defeat on the NDAA. So they were kind of leaving a little bit depressed. But I think when they come back, we should see their spirits renewed a little bit, see them get re-energized. And I think a lot of that will depend on what actually happens, what they're allowed to see inside that skiff. We'll see, because then even some, um, Cinder Gillibrand, she still wants to meet with Grush. Um, and she said, initially when she talked to me, she said she wanted to talk to him privately, but then also publicly. Well, that's called a congressional hearing. Yeah. So we'll see, especially after Arrow releases their new reports, which like most people aren't expecting much from. But yeah, if they mess up and actually give us news, <laughs> so we'll see, like. I've stopped all predictions after Donald Trump won the Republican primary in 2016. Like, I don't know anything in American politics anymore. So who knows what's around the corner? Very much a sidebar, but I remember last year or the year before um, listening to old episodes of Coast to Coast. I don't know, you know, Coast to Coast UFO radio show. Yeah. Um, And they do news updates during it. But given they were like old archived interviews I was listening to from 2014, 15, 16, now and again you would get clips of, oh, Donald Trump's doing quite well in this primary, but it's not expected, blah, 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 blah. And then you'd jump to another one and, oh, Donald Trump has surprised folks and managed to get, and then before you know it, he's, he's president of the United States, isn't he? So, yeah, that's that's been pretty fun to listen back on. Um, no predictions, just spoilers, I suppose. Can I ask you, taking you out of that, the detail we're talking about, just as a journalist, Washington is full of journalists, okay? It's a hotbed. What is the conversation like between you and other journalists around the UFO topic? Is it popular? Is it something there's folks want to cover but just don't? What's the kind of, what's the opinion around the UFO topic? 
there's probably a lot of eye rolling. Um, like I don't fit in with the press corps with most of them. Um, and when I get to the hill, I'm just there to work. And like the most I've done is what 75 ish interviews in one day. So like I get to the hill, I just start walking. I average like seven miles. Most I saw is I walked 11 miles in one day. Cause I just walk, look for lawmakers and then walk a little bit with that lawmaker until we're done. And then walk back the other way with a different lawmaker who I see. And so, um, yeah, you hear some sneers. It's actually been interesting, especially with photographers and then some members of the press corps, like they're following Askapol, uh, what we do at Askapol.com. And so some are intrigued. Um, most probably eye rolls. Um, but okay, sarah, sarah. I roll my eyes at them a lot more than they do at me. <laughs> I, I, I imagine. <laughs> Um, before we get to listener questions, Matt, I want to ask what's been your, off the last year covering the UFO topic, what's been your proudest moment? Something you, you've done and you're really, you know, it sticks with you. Uh, getting all 100 US senators on the record. Like I've been covering Congress now 18 years. I've never seen any publication do that. Uh, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, like they don't do that, even though they've got dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of political reporters and so i just like as a one-man band showing that they're fucking lazy as shit <laughs> at the very least and that's fair enough and like i say the the link to that's going to be in the description as well um let's get to some listener questions matt and, and bounce about a little bit here because a few things you've touched on i think are, are worth going over so um fred bowen sent a question and asking exactly how do two members of congress successfully devalue a senate approved and senate majority leader backed piece of legislation by having the most critical pieces of that legislation removed are they geniuses or was there no significant serious support in the first place? Obviously talking about the Schumer Rounds Amendment and how yeah. it wasn't just two people, was it? I think we said the three mics. Mitch McConnell obviously heavily was involved to a degree in that as well. Well, see, and that's what, again, we just don't 100% know. And what we've been hearing from people who are on that conference committee is they're still a little bit confused on where it came from. Um because when they were the day of that conference committee at Askapol, we had an exclusive with um, the House. It's passed with the House Armed Services Committee chair, Mike Rogers. What he told me was that he had heard, he thought some of the language in that was duplicative. And it's like, all right, that's interesting. That stuck out to me because I'm like, all right, so the armed services chair Rogers knows about this amendment, um, which is kind of newsworthy because you had the head of the Intel or the top Democrat on the Intel, uh, Jim Himes. He told me like, what are you talking about? Like we haven't even had UAP discussions uh, in intelligence, which is interesting because on the Senate side that was flipped. So you had the Senate intelligence committee taking Grush and his allegations more seriously there the ones applying more pressure on Arrow in regards to UAP whistleblowers and just, you know, being more transparent. But Senate Armed Services Committee, their chair, Jack Reed, and then their top Republican, Roger Wicker. Wicker, he told me, 
oh, that's above our pay grade. So he knew about it, but he said that's above our pay grade. And so I'm still trying to figure out, well, was it Senate Intel folks? Were they pushing back against Schumer as well? Or was it just House Armed Services Committee? Or was House Intel also involved? House Intel seems to be involved. Uh, again, I need to pull some more strings there because one thing we get from the Congressional UAP Caucus is that um, there's a little too much speculation sometimes that comes out of these lawmakers. And so like, I don't fuck with speculation. I'll put it out there if that's what they're saying, but I'm still digging down to actually mm. find out where that happened because I'm, I'm curious, the dynamics the uh, listener lays out, like, that's the question. <clears throat> How did um, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer get rolled? Is it because he didn't care too much about that, um, the specifics? It doesn't, it seems like they did negotiate the specifics, at least him and Senator Rounds. Um, and that they really wanted that. Now, if they just wanted that as a means to placate uh, a very loud public in this space, um, is one question whether they actually wanted true transparency and what they think would come from that transparency. I think there we don't 100% know. Um, but one thing I do say with all things Congress is <clears throat> it does take time. Anything takes time. So what? Something like universal health care, which most other nations in the world have. Well, here in America, the Democratic Party really, really, really cared about uh, universal health care. It took them about 100 years to fall just short of universal health care mm. when they passed Obamacare or the Universal Health Care Act. Like, they really cared about that issue. They had 60 votes in the Senate and they fell short. You know, but it took a hundred years for them to just fall short. And so with this, even if like Schumer might have taken getting rolled on this time, uh, for one, like they got their foot in the door. So they got something passed, even if it's lukewarm. <clears throat> yeah. The thing in Washington, once what I always say with the White House, any White House that like opens the door a crack. Uh, so that they can like drive a Prius through it, like, hey, watch out, because the next president, they're coming through with a freaking eighteen wheeler. <laughs> so yeah. like, anytime you make a little headway, watch out, because there's gonna be a wave coming through that door in a second. And so we'll see what happens with that. Whether and people do have to kind of remember this, like Arrows brand spanking new. It's only been around a couple years. And so I think what you have now with a lot of senators is they're kind of watching to see the missteps of Arrow because then they can say, hey, look, we need to beef this up. Hey, look, it can't be under the Pentagon because, you know, that's stupid. And you're just starting to have your lawmakers um, vocalize those opinions, but you're having some still study it in real time. And so... It'll be interesting to see what happens there and whether this becomes something they can build on or whether it becomes something that they can like kind of try to placate the public with. But like no one's really happy, you know, on either side 
of the debate. And so I don't think it throws cold water on it completely. Um, I see it more as like the stepping stone for a greater debate in the, in the future, but I'm still asking those questions. Like Schumer, how did you get rolled on your own bill? I mean, you mentioned Arrow and I think uh, Arrow for me are like mini disc players 20 years ago. And I loved my mini disc player and I had it for a year and it went everywhere with me. But as much as it was new technology and it was cool, very quickly, something else much better and more efficient came along yeah. and replaced it. And no one cared about mini disc players anymore. And if you're yeah. too young to know what a mini disc player is, go and Google it um, or ask ChatGPT. Um, but yeah, for me, that's where Arrow is. Something much more efficient and better hopefully needs to come along and replace that. Regarding the Schumer Rounds Amendment, you see like Schumer being rolled. Is it potentially, though, that some of those folks who were doing the rolling had some very powerful backers in private aerospace and it just simply was a case of those folks can pull a lot of very powerful strings in places that we just don't get to see? And again, that's where I don't want to speculate. I mean, we know, as Eisenhower um, prophesied decades and decades ago, more than a half century ago, that like the military-industrial complex is interwoven with the U.S. government. And so it's hard to ever know where they start or stop because we have what's called this revolving door where there's so many people who either worked for Schumer or worked for McConnell who now work for aerospace companies. And so like the government and these contracting entities do become interwoven. Um, yeah. So it'll, I'm still sniffing around there because that's one where knowing what I was told from Jim Himes, the top Democrat on the house intelligence committee so, like, I've known Chair Turner for years, used to interview him, like, monthly um, for his local NPR station, like, what, 15 or so years ago? <clears throat> well, now that he's got this national purge, he's like, oh, I don't talk to the media. What do you tell me? He's like, I don't do ambush interviews. Um, you know, he just, he'll, you'll see him on Fox News. You'll see him on Newsmax. He just goes on these outlets that he sees as, like, friendly Safe. confines yeah yeah and so i'm intrigued but like himes he told me point blank and i've covered him for his local npr station uh in fairfield connecticut and so he's known me for years and so when he told me no there's not even discussions on this you know i believe him now if he lied to me well i'm gonna fucking uh smack his balls up a little bit with my uh pen the way we do it in the press and so with him you know i trust the guy and i trust him not to lie but that's where it just seemed like it could be ineptitude it could be that the chair sees that he doesn't care about these issues he's very dismissive of it and so that empowers the chair you know, if the chair knows his counterpart doesn't give a shit about these issues and already been placated in the one public hearing they had in 2022 when the House Intelligence Committee had it, Himes walked away from that and he's like, look, they told me they don't have any of these programs hidden from us. So, of course, what they said publicly under uh, oath, that stands. Other people are like, bro, they lie all the time. <laughs> Uh, look at the language that was very precise and awkward that they used. 
And so knowing that Himes isn't inquisitive at all, well, that can mean Turner, who doesn't talk to the press, that just gives him, feeds him over this issue. And so it's interesting. And so with that, someone like Turner, we did do the research at askapoll.com, like most of his money uh, campaign or cash comes from defense and aerospace companies. That becomes intriguing because sometimes those entities use lawmakers as their loudest voice. So, I mean, that's how lobbying works. If someone on one of the or at one of those firms works for the House Intelligence Committee, knows Turner or whatever, well, boom, he might be their conduit. And so that's what I haven't 100% figured out. And what I'm trying to investigate this year is where are those PowerPoints? Um, and because oftentimes with Congress, it's literally the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And so if a lot of members um, aren't complaining about these issues or don't even care about them, which is kind of the indifference we see from that mm. big Excel sheet we added, which at askapoll.com, that focuses on the Senate. But I think you see in that, and this carries over to the House, for the most part, it's just indifference. Um, people unaware and not caring and that climate and a climate of indifference um, really lets the people who are passionate about this one way or the other it really empowers them which is like a huge asset for the congressional UAP caucus like because so many people don't care about it like if they ask Speaker Johnson for that select UAP committee he might give it to them (laughs) and so then they'd have subpoena power and so because there's so much indifference from, you know, on both sides of this, that really empowers these people to, well, empowers the folks like Mitch McConnell, who, quite frankly, I don't know where he is on this, which is something I, I want to press him and Schumer on this year. Because, um, like, one thing, I covered cannabis with Playboy, all those outlets. And one thing we always found was that this one cannabis provision was always killed. Not because McConnell's office cared about it. Not because Schumer's office cared about it. Like, they didn't. Schumer didn't care about it. McConnell didn't care about it. But Senator Tom Cotton, this Arkansas guy, he cared about it. And because the closed-door, end-of-year discussions on these appropriations bills, you know, because they'd be, because Congress didn't do its work, so they weren't having uh, hearings in the open, you have closed-door negotiations and it'd be one senator would protest and say, hey, I don't like that cannabis provision. Well, it'd go to Tom Cotton because he's the only one who gave a shit, you know, and he wanted to stop it from going forward. And so that's where sometimes it's. You might be seeing someone empowered here who we've never heard of before, and it might just be like that one contractor who cares about it, who gives money to that one lawmaker and then. They don't even have to protest much. They just go, hey, we don't like that. Well, oh, and then this is the other backdrop to the NDAA for um, that we just saw passed. Over on the House side, we've never seen this before, but they put in so much social policy. And so there was abortion fights in there. There was uh, diversity and inclusion, you know, all these catchphrases, but like big, big social fights that usually stay way the heck out of those military bills. Well, so that kind of hampered Schumer 
from out of the gates because he had all this other stuff that he had to get rid of. And that could have really hampered his negotiating status when it came to something that he cared about personally, but that the rest of the party, you know, they couldn't allow an abortion measure to go through, you know, that would kill them with their whole base and with their members wouldn't even support it. And so because there was all those extracurricular, for lack of a better term, uh, social measures put in there on the House side, that could have really tilted the negotiations and um, handcuffed Senate Democrats or people who cared about this issue um, out of the gates. And so, again, I'm still exploring all those little facets of it because it it's not as clean cut as... I mean, from what I've seen, it could be really clean cut. Maybe Schumer just hates his own bill. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I would put money. I would put money on this not being clean cut. Um, <laughs> question from Steve Lefevre, uh, Matt. In your opinion, what is the most effective way for American citizens and citizens of other countries to help move things forward in the U.S. Congress? Many people are cynical. It often seems that our representative democracy is not so representative. What what? phone calls, letters, publicity campaigns, in your opinion? It's all of the above work. Um, but one of the biggest and best things to do is talk to them, uh, especially with electoral politics. If they're having an event um, in the district or whatever, in the state, when they see you in person and they put your face to the question and like, you don't have to go up to them with, like, stacks and stacks of books and all your research. Like, if anything, that's going to, like, you know, intimidate them. But just letting them know that you're their constituent and that you care about the issue, um, sometimes that's the biggest and best thing to do. Like, you can show that with writing letters or through other electronic forms of communication. Um but when they see you face to face, you know, they're like, hey, Johnny cares about that issue. And you'd be kind of shocked with how few constituents or whatever actually go out and meet with their lawmakers when they do events in the district. Usually it's just like a bunch of like minded folks who, uh, you know, are active in the party or whatever. You just go out as Joe or Jane citizen and just let them know that, hey, you're their voter and that you care about this issue. You know, usually that does wake them up because they put that face to the name. Um, follow up from Steve. He also asks, you know, the topic of disclosure has a lot of secondary issues um, that would be of concern to any American citizen, civilian control or sorry, civilian control of the U.S. military, congressional oversight, um, fraud, waste and abuse and agency spending, which has come up over classification and a lot more like that. Do you think that, well, the average person might still see a lot of stigma within the UFO topic, Steve wonders, is it more effective to put the pressure on those secondary issues that lead back to the UFO topic? That's interesting. I mean, because it could be because with some lawmakers, like what I mentioned, Cinder Rich saying, I don't read UFO stories. Well, cool. So that's, we know where he's at, but when you push someone like him 
and this is kind of my tact in this new year is like, hey, so are you all guaranteed that American airspace can't be invaded again by a Chinese balloon or by these other 300 objects that Arrow can't fucking identify? Like, come on. We, like, you guys spend about a trillion dollars of U.S. taxpayers' money a year on all these big freaking toys, and yet you're telling us American airspace has been invaded some 300 times by objects that you can't even identify? Like, get the fuck out. Spend our money better, <laughs> you know? Like, oh, I get the problem of the uh, revolving door with the contractors. Well, hey, get better fucking contractors because they're wasting trillions of dollars. Like, pay me that money. I'll be able to find what's above our fucking heads. You know, like when you put it in really simple terms to them, just like, hey, why are you inept? Like, why are you letting uh, or allowing our government to one, waste taxpayer dollars, uh, but two, um, you know, have our airspace invaded by 300 objects that you can't identify? Like, that should be worrisome, you know, mm. no matter what the objects are. Um, and so, even at the start of the last Congress, there was, and I need to circle back on this in the new year, um, there was an effort underway. Oh, because if you remember, the start start of the year, it was the big classified document scandals where, you know, documents found at former President Trump's crib in Mar-a-Lago, then doc- classified documents found at current President Joe Biden's um crib and then at former vice president mike pence's crib so because of all those document cases republicans and democrats it was actually senate intelligence chair mark warner and um former senate major or minority whip john cornyn still a republican senator from texas but he's kind of like mitch mcconnell's right hand man for some time he's talked about as being mcconnell's replacement someday so cornyn and warner they were actively negotiating over classification. And so where the heck did that go? And again, because Congress had so many, um, I was going to say starts and stops, but no, actual scandals. Yeah. Senator Bob Menendez, they found gold freaking bars in like a free Mercedes Benz. Uh, you know, so he's paid off, they alleged by the uh, Egyptians who were ahead of, his committee, the former relations committee. And so like you had this scandal marred Congress, but then also one that was just lurching to, um, you know, cliff to cliff, you know, just averting all these um, self-made crises that Congress in all that ineptitude really got a pass on a lot of these issues. And so a lot of their more serious work, on dealing with something like overclassification kind of got put way to the back burner because they had to like pull out all the stops to keep the damn lights on, um, which they're not going to have to do next week because of two weeks to keep the lights on once they return next week. And so, yeah, I like that strategy. Um, whatever works with this Congress, because this Congress is bad at Congressing. <laughs> Here's a, a change of direction from Dave Smethurst. Always good to hear from Dave. As a professor of journalism, if a person of David Grush's credibility came forward with allegations of a more prosaic nature, say contractor fraud, on the back of the same evidence, i.e. ICIG backing, 
testimony under oath and named and unnamed sources backing him up, would it be enough for most editors to run the story on the front page? If yes, why won't they do this with UAPs or UFOs? Do you think they're being leaned in on by the intelligence community? Yeah, I don't... I doubt the intel community is leaning on editors. I know they have and they do on some things, but that's where I haven't seen them really stand up. And that's where I'm still curious on where this opposition is coming from. Um, what we know, yeah, like, fuck my opinion. Like, that top Democrat on the oversight committee, Jamie Raskin, he says Grush is credible. Boom. Yes, editors need to follow what top Democrat on the oversight committee does. You know, do you, do you think though, Matt? Do you think yeah, it's just yeah. it's just still as simple as twenty twenty four? Editors see UFO and they go, "I'm not putting UFO on the front page of my publication." That that's it. No, because if you'll see when Crush testified, every outlet and then six outlets that we never even heard of emerged mm. um, to cover that. And then when the UAP caucus had their big end of year hearing, well, well, like when the UAP caucus waited outside or when they had their meeting in the skiff, a briefing on Grush's claims, um, there's only like four of us reporters there. Um, or uh, there's five of us, four were from <laughs> News Nation. And then there was me with Ask a Poll. Uh, so that was like for a stakeout on information gathering. <clears throat> but then when you had the public press conference, that had 20 or 30 different reporters there. I didn't really see a ton of headlines come out of that because it wasn't headline. Well, a few headlines did come out of it because the claim was like, hey, they're blocking this um, with the intel community. But because that so that one would be harder to cover because they didn't have all the names. And so when they came out for that second press conference um, and they said, hey, you know, people, you know, behind closed doors are trying to kill this. That's just a hard story for us as journalists to cover because we're like, hey, give us names. That's separate from Grush's actual claims. That was dealing with the UAP amendment. Schumer's getting gutted and it's happening behind closed doors. And the members don't even know who's doing the gutting. <laughs> and so that's just, that's a hard one to cover, um, especially front page. Now with, and so that's where there's nuance to all of this. And I think the UAP caucus could do a lot better job on some of this stuff. Um, you know, just having a better press operation, you know, planting and like you're seeing them improve um, and mature as they go along. But yeah, there's there's a lot of guilt to go around. I think kind of the biggest guilt for the mainstream media or whatever is just a lack of curiosity. And like again, back to cannabis, which I know for better and for worse, um, you do kind of see this with a lot of newsrooms just like sticking with that legacy thinking. So like that yeah. war on drugs thinking. It's just kind of ingrained in newsrooms. 
just like it was ingrained in America since the eighties, this just say no mentality, which has fucking failed. Like we're now having about a hundred thousand opioid overdoses a year, which is like our legal pharmaceutical drugs with Congress's stamp of approval because pharma funds Congress, both parties, bipartisan. So like we're having this like government uh sanctioned government approved uh opioid epidemic and lawmakers are still and newsrooms are still barreling forward with this just say no mentality why it's literally killing our fucking neighbors and family members and co-workers and they're just stuck in this legacy idiocy and so i think you see it with a lot of issues not just this one um ufos but just throughout and what it's taken years and years. Like even after we carried the government's water after nine 11 and like the same, uh, AUMF or authorization to military force, the same one that Congress, obviously a different Congress wrote to George W. Bush based on false information that allowed them to go into Iraq and then Afghanistan and whatnot. That same AUMF is still active. So 20 years on, two decades on, uh, after Congress, most of the people in this Congress ran on, on that, you know, uh, unwinding this, you know, strong, mighty U.S. military arm. Like even our conservatives who like don't want to fund Ukraine, who want to like pull back that AUMF, they're still like fine with giving the White House like blanket ability to bomb brown people abroad um and media is just like well what are you talking about AUMF you know no one will really cover it and so I think a lot of times you just get this laziness where the media like oh we'll send cameras to the border when the speaker Johnson's there with 60 uh house republicans because like we're we're gonna make that photo op front page news but when it comes to like actual problems, no, the media is largely gone or buried on page 5B or whatever. There was quite a few questions from listeners on Patreon and YouTube around legacy media, mainstream media, lack of coverage. And I think that touches on a lot of that quite nicely. Um, here's a question, and this is like question inception, Matt, because it's a question being asked to me about a question that I asked Tim Burchett off the back of a question you asked Tim. So I'm going to read this and hope to God this comes across. Okay, so from Balzini. Hi, Andy. On your Breaking News podcast with Tim Burchett, you asked Tim if he had heard anything about some sort of propulsion system that Matt Laszlo claimed had been found, originally commented on by Congressman Burleson. Can Matt go into any more detail on that origin, what it looked like, where was it found? Um, what was that story? If you want to just refresh us, Matt, and then anything you can follow up on. Well, yeah, and so that second, or no, it was the first meeting in the skiff with the Congressional UAP caucus when they came out of that and it was just News Nation and me standing there, <clears throat> um, Congressman Eric Burleson, from, Republican from Missouri, he came out and he mentioned propulsion and he said it in a way that, you know, we just put out what he said uh, verbatim in the headline and people are like, whoa, what is this? 
And so then he was telling, uh, or we did a follow up with him, and he was like, "No, we didn't hear about that inside." Um, of there, he was saying, you know, after being at the Grush hearing, after you know, doing my own due diligence on this, uh, it's something that he believes that there is a propulsion, um, program or something, and so he. It was what I still go back to about that. So while Burleson says, no, we didn't hear about it in there. When I followed up with Burchett on that, Burchett said, no, I can't talk about that. It was classified. So that's where I'm like, wait. Uh, again, my job is just to keep asking questions and asking questions and then playing those answers off other answers. And so the fact that Burchett still wasn't comfortable talking about that, um, like I do, I am starting to get a sense that well, because even in the the people in Congress who are dismissive of the issue, um, there seems to be this fear because you'll have people who are dismissive of the issue talk about the need for secrecy around it to protect American national security, even in what we know you know, doing recon or whatever, you know, just doing our own intel on um, America's enemies or whatever the term is. Um, and so I do kind of get this sense that people, that lawmakers fear that other nations have mastered this technology or that they want us to master it first. Uh, like, uh, again, I'm still feeling out um where that comes from but even with lawmakers you'll hear it in our uh interviews with andre carson he's you know a high up democrat in indiana democrat he used to work in department of homeland security in indiana so he's big on intelligence issues um and he's on the house intelligence committee he was actually the one who chaired that first House um, UFO hearing, the one in 2022, the first one in like 50 years or whatever. So Andre Carson, he's interesting because he even tells us, he's like, hey, if there's a select UAP committee, I want to be the top Democrat on that. And he goes, you know, I can play an important role making sure some of this stuff doesn't get out. Uh, some of this important intel doesn't get out to our adversaries. And that's where my ears perk up because I'm like, wait, what intel don't you want to get out? Come on, mm. you know? And so that's where I'm curious and I'm still going to keep fishing around on there because, <clears throat> again, to hear Burleson say, no, I didn't hear about propulsion in there, but then to ask Burchett about propulsion and him say, no, I can't talk about the classified briefing. <clears throat> I don't know. A phrase that came up a lot towards the end of 2023 was the idea of catastrophic disclosure. You know, the idea you've got a controlled disclosure with uh, US politicians coming out and being able to declare themselves that we've got recovered craft or a non-human intelligence or alien beings in contact, something like that, they're in control of it. Catastrophic disclosure, the idea that another nation discloses this or 
in the wildest scenario, a non-human intelligence themselves does some kind of mass sighting or, or mass appearance. But it's safe to say that any politician at those levels, Matt, you deal with has some form of ego because I think you have to have to put yourself out there to that level. Would the egos around Washington allow another nation to take control of this narrative and say China or Russia to come forward and say, do you know what, we've got alien bodies, we've got a recovered spacecraft, for lack of a better term. You know, is that something you could see happening? Why wouldn't they just control this themselves? The beautiful thing, like... So the hard part about Congress is, for one, I say, like, I interview 535 liars for a living. Like, they're all politicians. So on one level, they're all politicians. So at a certain degree, they lie. And, like, lying is a part of the job, you know. But it's politics. So it's not lying. Cool, cool. They're there. Little liars. (laughs) Um, But then you also have to remember these are humans. And, like, they're really fucking inept. Like, sorry, like our best and our brightest in America might be dipshits. Uh, not all of them, because, you know, some folks in Congress are brilliant. Not all of them. And so, like, I always used to laugh when it came to, like, the conspiracies about, like, the downing of the World Trade Center. You know, I'm like, it's government? <laughs> like, this government can't even lie about, you know, like, things... Um, well, this government can't even do simple things. It can't even like protect Americans after Katrina, you know, and like you expect that government who gives moldy um, <laughs> motorhomes to folks, you expect that government to be able to take down the World Trade Center without folks noticing. And like there's a certain level of just like ineptitude um, to government, but then specifically with Congress that um, yeah, if we're getting our money's worth, our money ain't worth a whole lot. And so, like, there's a level of skepticism. And then, like, there's something comforting in that depressing thought, at least to uh, a cynic like me, because it kind of, it helps us, or it helps me keep wanting to hunt for the people who are in the know. Um, because when it comes to, like, I just don't think the government has proven itself very good at keeping secrets for very long. Um, and it hasn't proven itself like very good at um, these things. I mean, obviously, they're counterfactuals to everything. Um, and so we'll see. It, I think there's a lot more government ineptitude then people mm. realize for better and for worse. Yeah. No, I think that comes across in, in every government, trust me. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. From a UK well, point of view, I can speak from that. Well, and like the interesting thing about this issue and this topic is this community. Like this community is so well read. And so, and so sometimes people are giving me questions and I'm like, guys, Congress doesn't even know how to ride the bike yet. Like, we're still trying to put the training wheels on. And here you're, like, asking a question about, you know, NASCAR, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Going hundreds of miles per hour. And I'm like, you're doing laps around these kids. 
something I wish, Matt, and I said this just recently on a few different recordings, is people see politician A, let's just run with, with Timbership, picks yeah. up on the UAP, UFO topic, okay, and starts to make some comments, starts to do some digging, gets involved in the topic and starts to, let's say, champion it. And everyone assumes immediately, or not, sorry, that's that's wrong. Some folks then begin to assume that all Timbershet does in his day-to-day now is read UFO books, watch UFO documentaries, and spend his day on UFO Twitter. He doesn't. Yep. Same for Gillibrand, Rubio, Warner. This takes up a small part of their day or their week, if you're lucky. So from yep. that, you get mistakes, you get misquotes, you get them picking up yep. little bits of the subject you know, after a few months and trying to speak on it the best way they can on an international stage on Fox News after being into UFOs for a couple of months yeah. in a one-minute soundbite and then getting judged by everyone on it. And I think people forget that they don't have 20, 30, or 40 years worth of, like you say, heavy reading on the subject. For the love of God, I know I don't, and I do a podcast on it. Um, so it can be difficult, yeah. You raised no, the... Well, so this is like the congressional Facebook, the physical one. So this is like every member of Congress. And so like, I just picked up Burchett. Here's Burchett's three committees. He's on the Foreign Affairs Committee, Oversight and Government Accountability. That's huge. Oversight and Government Accountability. That's everything. Like that's the Biden impeachment, uh, the Mayorkas impeachment. It started there. Uh, That's dealing with academia, anti-Semitism, everything falls under that umbrella. And then there's also transportation and infrastructure. So that had to deal with the FAA reauthorization. So like, those are the three committees Burchett's on. Um, those are just sprawling, foreign affairs, <laughs> yeah. everything international. And so, yeah, that's Tim Burchett's three official committees well, Tim Burchett also helped historically oust Speaker McCarthy. He was one of those eight, uh, just mere eight House Republicans who led to the historic ouster of former Speaker, now Kevin McCarthy. Well, after McCarthy, you know, after Burchett got his head, <laughs> well, then Burchett and others, they had to scramble for three weeks after they shut down Congress for three weeks. They had to figure out, well, for one, who's going to replace McCarthy, which they didn't have that thought out. <laughs> they got his head. They sacked the castle. And then they're like, oh, shit, now we got to run this place. Um, and so then all the debates since then have focused on keeping the government funded. Well, yeah. everyone in the party's like, hey, you ate. What are you going to do now? Because if you vote against us, you're going to screw us. Are you going to shut down Congress again? And so people especially have to remember that with Burchett, uh, Nancy Mace, she was another part of the eight. And then um, Matt Gates. he's not officially a part of the UAP caucus, but he's definitely one of their top allies mm-hmm. and he's definitely at the table there. So right there, you have three of the eight. Uh, so three of the most passionate members on this issue were also the reason that Congress shut down for three weeks and that there was no speaker for three weeks. And we're still dealing with the fallout of that. And so that puts an extra weight on their um, shoulders. I can't tell you how many times I'd be sitting there on the Capitol steps waiting for 20, 30 reporters to stop interviewing Burchett 
on these huge government funding issues. And then I always wait and walk back with him to his office. You know, so I wait <laughs> for, you know, 10, 20, 30 minutes for him to finish all these other interviews. And then I get him on this topic. And so, uh, yeah, you put it very well there. And, you know, I'm just highlighting one lawmaker there. Same thing multiplied for all these members, which, again, as I pointed out in other interviews, that does make um, when you're sending information to these lawmakers, there's usually going to be one L.A. or what's called a legislative assistant in their office who is really passionate about the issue or who knows it inside and out. Mm -hmm. And so kind of keeping that in mind that you might not necessarily be having a dialogue with that lawmaker, but what you send them is going to that one staffer and like that staffer becomes their brain trust on these different issues. Like when we interviewed um, Senator Cory Booker about this, Cory Booker was like, oh man, my staff, they can't get enough of this issue. So you can tell like, oh, <clears throat> Senator Booker might not be big on this issue, but people on his staff are passionate about it. So send good information to his staff and hey, it's probably going to come out in the senator's mouth at some point, you know? And you know what? I have to be fair, I think. And on the flip side of that, looking at the UFO community, what I think is good information or good to look at is totally different to what person A, person B and person C, all the way through to person triple Z thinks about the subject. And it's all these differing opinions and ideas and no one knows, but everyone knows. And the, the melting pot's kind of very, 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 doesn't it? Yeah. Um and that then has to translate. So it's a hell of a subject to cover, Matt, and you've done it incredibly well in a short space of time, and you continue to do so. And just to wrap up, I want to ask you, I'm guessing the next thing on your radar is that skiff that's happening yep. on the 12th of January, yeah? What are you expect? Yep. What will you be doing for that, and what are you expecting to come of it? I say my job is hurry up and wait. So I will be outside of that skiff early, and I will be standing there for... Two to three hours and stuff they come out and then i will be walking back to their offices with them until they're done with me and then i walk back and walk back with another one um so that one will be interesting um and honestly that's going to be that's going to set the tempo for the yeah. year um because as much as i was saying earlier you know members were disheartened by the end of year defeat in 2023 if they get into that skiff and it's just like a shell of, uh, you know, if it's like a summation of what Grush told the inspector general, then lawmakers are going to leave it quick. They're going to be pissed and they're going to say, this is a farce. Look at this. If they get everything, you know, if they're shown the crown jewels, well, it's going to fucking suck for us, y'all. <laughs> I mean, because they're going to come out of there and they're going to be legally bound to say nothing because mm -hmm. it's a classified setting. So don't get your, again, everyone, we got to like be the tortoise in this. Like Congress has to show patience. They also, I mean, I'm hoping they come out of that. They get the jewels. They don't say it on TV, but they like slide it to me uh, <laughs> in the hall. But then remember, like, they can't even have any papers, any notes they take inside there. They have to leave inside mm -hmm. the skiff. They're not allowed to have any electronics in there. And so, again, 
what those members are hoping to get out of it, um, especially folks like Congressman Burleson, what they said is like, what they hope to get is to be able to read Grush's initial IG report. And then like, that's not the smoking gun because they can't talk about that publicly. What they're then hoping to do is then have another either briefing uh, closed doors or hopefully uh, out in the open. Because remember, former Speaker McCarthy did promise these folks a second uh, hearing. Now, that's the other problem with this Congress. Does the Speaker McCarthy promise? Does that carry through to a Speaker Johnson administration? Or can these folks also like go to Speaker Johnson and be like, hey, Speaker McCarthy, he promised us three more uh open hearings you know kind of play mom against dad (laughs) sort of thing which they should be doing uh but then it'll be interesting because what they're hoping is to take what they learn from reading uh grush's ig report and then to view that as ammunition or you know that's their power to then ask or to even know where to ask questions you know to know where the bodies are potentially hidden and so all of these things as in Congress, like nothing's easy, nothing's simple. Um, but we should get a better sense of what the investigation is going to look like going forward based on what comes out of that hearing, whether they're stonewalled or finally actually get to see his initial report, which we'll see. Lawmakers are on the fence on, um, they're not letting their expectations get too high yeah matt i'm going to assume you're not sitting there on 10 gold bars uh and you're from your middle eastern backers uh and what i want to say is ask a paul uh, it's your job it's uh, your journalism is your career it's your profession people like me and a lot of folks on social media see what you do they can click it they can like it and they'll they'll also use that information to then go write their own blogs articles generate conversations what can folks do to support you in your work uh, and how can they kind of get involved? Yeah, there's definitely no gold bars here. Um, yeah, any support, we're a uh, thousand percent subscriber supported. Uh, and we're at askapole.com. You can do a free subscription. Uh, so then you just get our latest updates. But if you got some extra bucks, we would love the paid subscription. We are in this new year going to do more um, premium content for our paid subscribers, do more at the end of the year. We opened it up to everyone, but we had uh, Timber Chat come on for a live Discord chat. We're going to start doing those more for our paid subscribers in the new year, hopefully one a month with a different member of the UAP caucus or a different senator, some more on that to come. But uh, yeah, through our subscriber chat, that's a great way for you to send me questions, send me fact checks, whatever. And um, yeah, I love it. The beauty of Askapol is that you all are our brain trust. So send me what you're hearing. um, And then I turn my mic on and I go and ask lawmakers about it. Beautiful. We're nothing without you. Appreciate the love, fam. And all those links will be in the description. So if you are on socials or if you're not, if you've listened to this and you appreciate what Matt does, if you haven't heard of Matt or followed Matt before and you're going to now, 
then this is the time to kind of do that and look at supporting any of these folks, Matt and others who do the kind of boots on the ground work out there in Washington, because it is literally boots on the ground. Matt will need to buy this year as he walks 11 miles a day back and forward, following politicians all over the place, asking and annoying them as best he can to get those answers we're looking for. So Matt, I'll definitely have you back on again in the very near future. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. I had a ton more listener questions we'll keep for a follow-up show as well. And um, all the very best. And I'll be talking to you hopefully as early as next week to kind of find out what's happened with the skiff and more. Okay. Look forward to it, brother. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man. Good to speak, Matt. Cheers. That is all for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. Apple and Spotify do make a huge difference to the algorithm. If you're checking the show on YouTube, please don't forget to like and leave a comment on here as well. Any sharing you do is very much appreciated on any social media platform. And finally, you can listen to shows ad-free and sponsor-free in their glorious full versions by subscribing for less than the price of a coffee on Apple, Spotify, just search That UFO Podcast Premium. YouTube, you can sign up and be a member or you can do that through patreon.com. Thank you very much for listening, folks. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right inside of my window when I shut up the screen he made.